opportunity to receive the light and life He brings. Christ, we worship Your Majesty, Lord forever. Is what You're always been. God, You came as man to dwell. Jesus, our hope. Bless you, my friend, and welcome to part three of the virgin birth of Jesus. And Jesus is our Emmanuel. We thank God for that. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know, I've been rocking this Mary Mary CD. This was a 2006 CD, actually, uh, that Mary Mary put together called a Mary Mary Christmas. Uh, and uh, if you don't have that CD, um, then you should get it because that is a very, uh, very good uh, uh, CD. I commend uh, uh, the group Mary and Mary, uh, Erica and Tina Campbell. Um, uh, both of them are outstanding and dynamic uh, singers. And uh, I tell you what, um, I appreciate their range and appreciate what they bring uh, to gospel music. Uh, we have something special that we're going to be doing for uh, Tina Campbell a little bit later in the year. But uh, we thank God uh, for both of them and thank God for their music. So that uh, the songs that you've been hearing on this three part series of the Virgin Birth uh, are from the uh, A Merry Merry Christmas uh, produced by 
the group known as Mary Mary. And again, that was in 2006. Go ahead and pick that up. If you don't have it for this holiday season, certainly you'll have it for next. But uh, um, these songs are good really anytime, whether it's holiday season or not. Uh, anyway, let us get back into our study here and finish this off. We've uh, talked about this word, Betula, uh, as a, again, the critic says that the word Betula uh, should have been used in Isaiah 714 if it was meant to be a virgin that would bear uh, bear child or, or have child. And if that applies to Jesus, um, uh, Matthew, uh, that's the word that would have been there. And uh, the critic also asserts that Matthew incorrectly applies that verse to Jesus um, uh, because it uses the word Alme, which is uh, in their mind uh, indefinite. And you see the the hits of bad information just keep going because we laid out seven points uh, of the, you know, the expansion of the word Betula. And we find out that Betula um, has an expansive meaning that actually uh, covers women who are married, uh, women who are uh, not married, uh, figurative, figuratively used uh, to talk about the daughters of Zion. Uh, from a scriptural standpoint, and we see that over and over throughout the Word of God. We see where um, uh, Betula uh, by itself does not definitely specify that a, a woman has not laid with a man, as pointed out in Genesis 24 uh, and 15, and also Judges 21 and 12. Uh, we see that uh, the tokens of virginity, the tokens of uh, uh, Betulim um, uh, is specified in Deuteronomy 22, uh, really specifically dealt with the woman not being pregnant uh, or, or with child at the time of marriage, as opposed to being um, um, uh, physically uh, pure. Uh, we also see that um, uh, from, you know, many other uh, scriptures that we looked at, we looked at the conundrum of the king's court in the book of Esther, chapter 2, how we see that these women uh, in the king's court were called Betula. But we know from historical studies and, and, and other uh, recordings that many of these women were not um, uh, single. Uh, some of them were not um, uh never married or you know uh physically uh, pure in that they were virgins um so but nevertheless they were called bitula uh so we pointed out the fact that bitula certainly has a more expansive meaning than the critic would give credit and uh that has actually been taught and I, like i said that once you get bad information i guess that thing kind of kind of keeps on going but one thing we do know is the Betula does point to a maid or a young woman, someone who is of marriageable age. And so uh, we're confident on those things. Now we turn to look at the word Alme. And uh, we see that, you know, I guess one thing that throws many people off is that this word is not used that many times uh, in the Old Testament. And so it's kind of difficult to follow this word because historically uh, this word is not seen uh, a lot as well. So it kind of throws off um, many uh, scholars as they examine this word. So although this word is difficult to follow, we find that it never means anything that Betula does not mean. So it's one of those things where Alme covers everything that Betula is uh, and then some. And uh, we will find out in this study that Alme is even a more specific term 
um, than Batula is. All may appears to deal with um, more of a childbearing, uh, a young lady who is more of childbearing age or childbearing ability rather than the physical uh, condition of a person. It points to the person's overall general situation from what we can gather so far. Um, 714, of course, um, Isaiah 714, of course, has been translated into the Greek through the Greek uh, LXX or the Septuagint as uh, Parthenos. And uh, Parthenos was a the way, the Greek way, to specify virgin one who had not had sex with men uh we see that that translation you know was easy as now, now the critic says now you know why is that that should not have been and it wasn't in all uh septuagint translations therefore it's wrong this that and the other and so they throw a lot of things at it but uh, let's really you know kind of take a much deeper look at this we find out that uh within the greek the word parthenos uh, actually applies to um, uh, individuals who have reached maturity or marriage age maturity. And the word also applies to both males and females. In Revelations 14 and 4, we see the use of Parthenos. Um, Revelations 14 and 4 says, These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Parthenoi. Um, these are they which follow the lamb whatsoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the lamb. So we see at the very least that this uh, word uh, applied to sexual purity of both a male and a female. And so that in that context is very clear. Um, and so the critic, you know, uh, questioning how that got applied to 714 is is questioning not the use of parthenos as being the word to specify virginity but how did parthenos um slip in that lxx translation and i believe it's because of all the other things that we've already discussed and some other things that we will touch on here in just a second uh, the use of the word um all may by Isaiah was more specific than Betula would have been. All may appears to pin down the specified detail of the context. It suggests more strongly than Betula the following things. Number one, that the woman or person was young, which Betula does as well. But number two, the woman or the person was of marriageable age. Betula does that as well. But this is where the difference is. All may seems to convey that the woman or the person was always single and never married. Okay. Another thing. All may tends to su suggest that the woman had not been defiled through previous or prior sexual activity and or relationships. So all may was a very particular word and one that seems to be from all available evidence seems to be more apropos to specifying and saying uh, or, or pointing toward virginity in um, uh, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Okay, in short, this word, Alme, is never applied to anyone but an unmarried person, whereas we saw that Betula can be applied to a previously married person. So Betula would be ineffective if this scripture is to be believed, which I certainly believe it is, that 
the Lord said he will perform something. He's not going back through any previous relationships to do it, but he's doing it from scratch. He's the ex nihilo God. He is creating something that has not been created. He is going uh, on a path that man cannot and does not need to journey and that, uh, you know, has has not journeyed. But um, this word all may seems to apply or imply that this is an unmarried person. And for specifics of our examination, uh, uh, that is a very important uh, thought. Now, one little thing that the New New International Dictionary of the Old Testament Theology uh, explains, and they say it like this, and I write this in my uh, writing on this subject. It says, the lexical relationship between Betula and Almay is that the former is a social status indicating that a young girl is under the guardianship of her father with all the age and sexual inferences that accompany that status. The latter is to be understood with regard to fertility and childbearing potential. Obviously, there obviously there are many occasions where both terms apply to the same girl. A girl ceases to be a Betula when she becomes a wife. She ceases to be an Alme when she becomes a mother. Now, that's how, you know, it should be. But as we pointed out, we can point to some previously married wives who were also, from a scripturally standpoint, called and named Batula, where we cannot find that, uh, you know, with all the current research and extant literature, that does not exist for Alme. So from the aforementioned, it should be clear that based on the textual evidence and current studies of the words involved, that Alme was the best word to more comprehensively convey, convey what the text was spelling out. And this is what the text said, that the Lord, or Adonai himself, not men, but Adonai himself will give you, the word you uh, used in that particular verse in Isaiah 7 and 14 is a plural which indicates that this was not just speaking to Ahaz and or his house, but he was speaking to the nation. The Lord will give you a sign, an oath or a pledge or a standard that bears witness. And he says, behold, in other words, take a good look, because what I'm getting ready to show you is no ordinary event. He says, a virgin, that's all may. A young woman of marriable age who has never been married, neither has been defiled through prior sexual activity. Verse five or later on says shall conceive. Hara. That means be found to be pregnant and bear Yalad in the Hebrew to bring forth or beget a son and his name or his shim. Renowned, a name meaning his renown, his his repute, his path, or what he will be known for, shall be called Emmanuel. That is, with us is God. Now, these things could not, that particular verse could not have possibly referred to Ahaz's seed, Hezekiah. Although Hezekiah was a pre-type of the Messiah, bringing God's presence back to Israel. Uh, with his reforms, he was approximately 13 years old when the prophecy was given. If the dating schemes that we currently have are correct. 
So he was too old. This was beyond him. Secondly, this could not have referred to Isaiah's son, Meher Shalal Lazbaz. Why? Because Isaiah's wife was not a virgin. Uh, we also see that there is no appellation. There's nothing uh, from recorded uh, scripture that ever said that this son of Isaiah's, you know, had brought God to us or, you know, was looked at as God with us. So this prophecy is a sort of a double entendre. It takes on a a uh, has a conditional value, but it takes on a prophetic utterance that's far beyond the time of Ahaz, far beyond the time of Isaiah, which is apropos to that prophet because we know that he looked down through the ages. That's why he's called the eagle-eyed prophet to see some things, to call some things specifically in prophecy that were not at his particular time. Connecting Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman shall bruise the serpent's head. To Micah chapter 5 verse 3 it says, therefore will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth, then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. Connect that along with Isaiah 7 and 14. It becomes plain to see that this person, this Messiah, this Mashiach that was prophesied about is well beyond any concept that men may have made up. Because this Mashiach would do certain things. This Mashiach would not only come into this life by way of miracle at the hand of the Lord. The Lord is doing this thing. Not men. But he would also uh, uh, set up a kingdom that would never end. He would call his people back home. Uh, so we see that Matthew was not just rushing in to apply a term. Just to fit a gap or a potential gap or trying to make some fit. No, that wasn't what he was doing. Matthew was very astute in his scholarship and he studied the scriptures. As I said earlier in the, in part one of this, about 31% of what he quotes uh, or alludes to was directly from the Old Testament itself. And that blows away all of these illiteracy buffs that think that the disciples and those uh, were illiterate. Well, these people evidently you know, at the same time, you say, well, he read this from the LXX. Evidently, he was literate enough to read Greek. Uh, obviously, he was literate enough to also read Hebrew and understand the scriptures for itself. Uh, so we also see that uh, if Jesus was not born of a virgin, then he is just a man like any other. He is not the monogenous of God as accorded, uh, recorded in John 1 and 14 and 18. Uh, and he has the same nature and essence of men. He didn't just come into being as uh, Paul teaches in Galatians 4 and 4 uh, through the term geonomy, but he was born. And that is a problem. So this is why the virgin birth is so important. And that's why it's highly and hotly contended for. Listen, I'm so sorry, but we have to go. God bless you, my friend. I hope you've been blessed by this series. Until next time.